Hello, I'm Dave Gans, MGMA Senior Fellow for Industry Affairs, welcoming you to the executive session, a monthly discussion with a healthcare leader on a critical issue of interest to medical practice executives. Currently, the United States is in the midst of a health crisis as social distancing and other factors have flattened the curve of COVID-19 infections, states are reopening businesses and medical group practices are resuming operations. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with David Baker, Vice President, Healthcare Development, Ryan Companies, Minneapolis, Minnesota, for his insights in how protecting staff and patients from COVID-19 infection will change facility design. Long-term listeners to my podcast may remember I had the opportunity to interview Dave in June 2018 on how productivity and efficiency begin with good facility design. Dave, uh, can you please introduce yourself and describe your background? Uh, thank you, Dave. And again, it's an honor and a pleasure to speak with you again. And uh, I always have fun and look forward to these events. My name is Dave Baker. Uh, we work with health systems around the country on planning, design, construction, development, capital, and setting up management of healthcare assets, inpatient, outpatient, you know, clinical and procedural type services. My original career was an architect, uh, designing facilities and then banking, finance, and real estate to understand how the money gets to support these assets. So I work kind of as a healthcare development executive, and again, working directly with health systems, uh, provider groups, physicians and so forth, and, and even communities on uh, uh, putting together the best facility solution for the ultimate delivery of care in the communities in which they serve. Also, Dave, you've been an MGMA member for a long time, too. <laughs> uh, you and I go back 30 plus years, Dave. Yes, yes thank you. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, and, and delighted and always been a great supporter of the MGMA. And thank you for the great work you've done over the years. Well, today, most states have allowed businesses to open consistent with rules on social distancing, wearing protective masks or other PPE, and that oftentimes there are now limits on the number of customers who can be present at one time. Medical practices are having to make changes consistent with these rules. This means they have to make changes in how they schedule patients, how they receive patients in their facility, even on the physical layout of the reception and patient waiting areas, and on the layout of the treatment and examination rooms. Uh, in today's conversation, I'd like to address what practices should be doing today to adjust their physical facility to meet these requirements and protect their providers, staff, and patients from possible infection with COVID-19. I'm also interested in, Dave, your ideas on how facilities will be designed in the future to improve infection control while still increasing provider productivity and reducing cost. So, uh, Dave, let's start with a discussion on the short-term changes a practice needs to do to accommodate social distancing and protecting staff and patients. You know, COVID-19 really was a big tipping point for healthcare delivery in this country. For years, we've all looked at how we gain provider efficiency, uh, a better customer or consumer or patient guest experience on how we go to see a physician for care, whether it's a uh, no longer driving and, and parking in a congested hospital setting, but more of a clinical area located in the rooftops or retail closer to home. All these parts and pieces are an impact of how we, uh, we go for, for delivered care. But COVID-19 really kind of just kind of put the brakes on everything. Uh, the biggest is it's always important to think about where and how care is delivered. 
Uh, you can't practice healthcare outside. It is in a certain type of controlled environment. Therefore, license codes, facility requirements, all are impacts into where uh, we go for delivery of care. The immediate you know, stopping of congregating people in a collective space. So the first thing we saw was no more waiting rooms. And, and with the advent and the utilization of texting, phone, cell phones, computer, just-in-time scheduling, we started to see the parking lot, you know, in your car, texting the doc or the nurse, I'm here, and then they're texting you instructions on when to come and how to come into their office, and you're literally greeted at the door and taken directly into exam room. So the first thing we've seen a lot of groups is they completely abandoned the traditional waiting room from a check-in, and then they're using the, the actual tools and technologies that we've had for other industries, imagine going to make a, a restaurant reservation at Open Table or buying movie theater tickets online and just showing up just in time when you know it's going to start. That's going to be the new norm for where people are now scheduling just in time appointments to see our provider. And, and sometimes providers, you know, are running behind in scheduling. So it's an easier way to communicate back to that patient guest in the parking lot waiting doctor will be ready in four minutes, be prepared at this time, and then they're given instructions on how to get into the, the type of facility. So the biggest thing is avoiding areas of congregation. Uh, and then also through that, as much virtual medicine and or triage that can be done with the patient prior to them actually coming into the facility. So instead of coming in and down the hall, open the door, sign in, and then sit and wait for your name being called, and then be announced and then coming in and then brought back into a triage or a hold station. And then the vitals are taken, blood pressure, weight, and, and so forth, maybe a, a lab or imaging, and then brought to the exam. All that is changing too, as you know, the social distancing is actually going to be driving more of an efficient delivery of care. Less people, less handlers, just in time means more efficient time and actually more quality time for that provider and that patient guest in that exam room. I, you know, I think that's a real good point. I think, unfortunately, I think healthcare, so often we look at how things have been done in the past as our model, instead of necessarily looking at other industries. I think so many doctor's offices, they may have put the, the plastic guards up in front of the reception area, they may have put the uh, signs on the floor about social distancing, but they haven't quite gotten to the point where can we redesign our process to make it more efficient as well as improving the spread of infection for our patients and staff? How do we protect our, our staff, our providers, but more importantly, how do we become more efficient? And I think this is a great opportunity for both facility design and to re-engineer our processes to become more efficient as we see patients. Uh, I like your comment regarding don't do social distancing in the waiting room. Let's eliminate the waiting room. That's, that does a lot of things. First, not only prevents potential infection, but also it opens up space that you're paying expensive rent for that you could have a much smaller reception area, minimize the furniture, which means minimizing cleaning costs, and also bringing the patient with more of a personal touch because they're greeted, they're taken directly to the treatment or examination rooms, and therefore they feel more comfortable and, they, and, and their needs are being better accommodated. 
Absolutely. And, and Dave, you know, we started to see this trend uh, and there's been several clinical facilities, my colleagues and I, and I work with national healthcare design firms around the country. We started to look at trying to provide greater physician efficiency. For the last five years, there have been several clinics where we did not design a open or private waiting room or the subway, if you will, as an encouragement to find just-in-time delivery of care. It's now utilizing the tools and technologies of communication with that patient that's kind of bringing them along those lines. And so if you think about the Disney World effect, where people would wait in line for the experience, and they always remember the great experience and the outcome, uh, but, you know, nobody, nobody liked standing in line. So Disney created the Fast Pass. And, and so if you think about a Fast Pass to go see your physician, I mean, if you're going to schedule an event uh, for a haircut or a, a hair salon or manicure, pedicure or movie theater tickets or even an open table restaurant around a time basis, you know, why aren't we doing that with the physicians? And, and we do understand that some physicians need more time and healthcare issues happen. But if you're in a clinical group setting, you've got providers there. It's pretty easy to pretty much dictate the right time and level to bring that patient through. So it's just a just-in-time visit. And again, using the parking lot, using the vehicles as a stage and waiting area keeps the social distancing. The patient is obviously a lot more comfortable in the privacy and security of their own car, but then they're actually being brought through just in time to see that provider. So we are starting to see that as a way to create a better, more efficient, uh, saving time, uh, patient guest type of an experience. I think very good point. Also, I think we're, we're seeing more multi-use facilities where the doctors may have an office and a facility that may have on the first floor retail businesses. Even if the patient may use public transportation and wants to be there early, the doctor can have that patient wait at a coffee shop, for example, you know, or wait in a, in a park area and then come up just as needed. I like your concept of a fast pass for healthcare. You know, one of the things we're seeing in terms of ambulatory care kind of design is congregating these uh, clinical spaces into one mini campus or uh, ambulatory care centers have been around for 30, 40 years. So I've got primary care, I've got an urgent care after hours, but I have diagnostics right there on site. So I've got lab, I've got imaging, I've got echo, I've got women's health. I have all these, you know, just in time in the rooftop facilities all congregated within one campus. Now we're seeing all these clinical primary care and specialty care spaces integrated around a medically based wellness center. So these are like fitness clubs with uh, dietary type programming, provider behavioral and physical care for medical services kind of in that social type of a spa type environment. And how we're designing the facilities is really kind of what we've been working through for years called medical flex space. And, and that's a, a, a basic core building of structure and mechanical and air exchanges that allows us to reconfigure the insides rather seamlessly and, and more efficiently and cost-effective uh, for putting up clinical rooms that could be changed to procedure suites. And, and even in light of what we learned in COVID, 
you know, laying these things out on correct distances that could be easily converted into safe zones or even from the U.S. Corps of Engineers, an alternative care site. So adding different components of HEPA filters and HVAC allows us to convert this medical flex space into just in time. And again, it's a much lower cost and a much safer environment, and it has all the qualifying elements that you would need in a care facility because we've got all the utilities, we've got generator backup power, there's a dietary kitchen so uh, and cafe, so we have grease traps for food services in a safe environment. And because these are designed for having a procedure suite, and some of these actually include ambulatory care or surgery centers as part of this component, I have all my diagnostic imaging in an emergency room set up all in the safe type type of facility. These type of environments saving staff costs that therefore saves money to the provider groups and operation, but it creates a better environment for the patient guest experience. It's like a one-stop shopping, if you will, where now I can text my patient. My appointment is at 10, 12. Uh, the provider has an emergency. It's going to delay your visit for five minutes. But here, I just text you a coupon, so please visit the Starbucks coffee shop downstairs, and there's a free cup of coffee for you. Or if you'd like to make your way over to the wellness center, you're free to take a couple walking laps around the track or maybe take in one of the video programmings describing upcoming events in terms of health, safety, public health. So those are the, those are the things that we're starting to see as a future that we've been in that progression on on more of a uh, uh, congregated or integrated delivery of care. Yeah, you know, uh, we talk about patient convenience. The ultimate patient convenience is not even having to go to the to the doctor's office at all. And this is where, and actually, many practices have substantially expanded their use of telemedicine to do that. Since telemedicine uses a very different environment than the traditional doctor's office. What can they do to better accommodate telemedicine and improve the efficiency of their doctors and for other providers using the service? And you're right. What is, what is the now new norm is anywhere from 20 to 40% of my patient visits is going to be virtual care. So what this does, it allows the provider to be actually more efficient and effective uh, with that patient. Uh, again, there's nothing like actually being there for, with a provider. And again, understanding virtual care is just that oftentimes that first level of diagnostics and or treatment or just informational uh, back and forth to the, to the, to the patient in, in a treatment schedule. Uh, but having the provider and the patient be able to connect virtually, uh, what this does in a clinical environment is there is a little bit of savings in terms of the exam room and again, the waiting room area. But those areas are actually, that square feet is actually being replaced for that exam slash stage area where the, actually the provider, it's kind of their workstation, where they do have the proper cameras, the acoustics, the video panels, and also the access to the patient data. So the, the provider is actually logging in and going through the calls in the queue, just like you would on a Google or any other kind of Zoom call or WebEx type of meeting. And they're literally spending that quality time with that patient, but it's done safely back in this physician kind of air traffic control center. And so you're starting to see those spaces being utilized with the physician. What it means is he can go from physician, uh, patient and then taking the notes and coding as a follow-up and then be ready to log in and see the next patient. 
So the time between patients it, from going room to room and then standing outside the door and reading the file, he's now not having to walk down the hall. He's literally at his workstation. So we're starting to see some of that efficiency effect there. Uh, and the other, again, the other for the patient side, it's just this just-in-time delivery. The evolution of the technologies, remember, Dave, years ago, we would design clinics in the back office was file rooms and oftentimes the file rooms was greater than the waiting room in terms of square feet and then we had to design for the load and the weight for all these paper files and redundant uh, information being stacked into the back of these offices we actually had to make sure the structural engineers and medical clinics understood the live loading that was happening within these facilities well, as the paper files have gone away to more electronic health records, we went through IT closets and servers and special air-conditioned mechanical systems, air control, cooling to keep the, the servers from overheating. Well, now in today's world technology, all that's in the cloud. And so the clinics of the today that we're designing, it's the, the provider literally walks the hall with his iPad or Google Dive handheld tablet device and an iPhone or Android or whatever handheld device, and all the data is there secured, HIPAA compliant, into a safe, secured cloud environment. And, and all that data is just tracked. And so we're now seeing this one room in the back that used to be the administrator's office is now really what I call air traffic control. And they're the ones that house and host all the data, and they track and see the provider utilization, the incoming patients, those live on site that are being tracked versus those that are dialing in or on hold. And they can track all the data and demographics around uh, how long the patient's been on hold. Obviously, the file is there, so there's no missing information. So when the provider gets on stage for that virtual and or the inside clinic, they're prepared with everything right there in their handheld device. Another thing about that is because the doc is using his own device and or the patient on the other end is using their own device, this is less touching. This is less files. This is less come and sign and hold a pen and then you now have to go clean. So less movement and, and less pieces or, or pieces of information that needs to be exchanged that can be done electronically is just uh, another point of, uh, of less touching, if you will, in this environment. Dave, I, I think you made a really good point, and that is when you talk about the doctor having an iPad or equivalent and walking into the, into the room, they have their own device, you've just eliminated a computer in the room. You've eliminated a keyboard, you've eliminated a mouse, you've eliminated a screen, all of which are difficult to clean. So if you had a, let's use an example of an examination room where a patient comes in and they are hacking and coughing and running a fever and, you know, and you give them, of course, the COVID-19 test and, you know, and they're, they are a strongly suspicious uh, COVID-19 infectious patient. How do you clean that room? Well, you, you wipe everything down, you go through all the, all the means, but how do you wipe down a keyboard? How do you clean that mouse? Because everything in that room is now potentially contaminated. And of course, you, your doctor or other provider may have wearing gloves and PPE, but you have a concern in that facility now. You just eliminated it with an iPad. Because after that visit, 
when the doctor removes, before they remove their PPE, they wipe down the iPad with an appropriate sterilizing cloth. Okay, you've now eliminated not only uh, the potential for infection, but you eliminated a, a, a workstation that is expensive and you replaced it with something cheap, an iPad that actually has better recognition. Uh, I thought that was an excellent suggestion and an idea about how we're going to do, do, do business differently in the future because, you know, we, you know, because we have needs, which is minimizing infection, but also the opportunity to rethink our processes and become more efficient. Absolutely. It becomes, uh, you know, the cause and the effect. And, and you're correct. And, you know, Dave, you and I remember all the exam rooms, you know, how many exams per provider to be efficient with this time to get that eight minutes of quality time with that patient. But in the exam room was probably, you know, five to $6,000 of very expensive cabinetry. And as the HIPAA rules and regulations came to bear, uh, then we started to see, well, you really can't store equipment in a room. Uh, so, then you had cabinets in a room that weren't doing or holding anything. And we always knew that the, the, the nursing staff, the average height for your high quality nurse, they couldn't reach the upper cabinets anyway. So we started to eliminate a lot of that cabinetry. So your exam room now for that patient visit is really nothing more than truly the, 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 the bed or table or chair and exam table and there may be a, a side stool with the physician, and then there may be some boom lighting or whatever that has to happen, but the days of everything attached to the wall are gone. Now you're bringing in uh, equipment just as you need it. If the patient has, doesn't have to have the need for, for oxygen, whatever, then, then they're not gonna be set up in stage for that room. So, you know, there was interesting, you kind of remind me of something, we planned as an ambulatory surgery center all the time in the pre-prep and then the post-op in an ambulatory surgery type setting. We never really quite came through the efficiency and the touch points for just the, st the standard clinical visit. And so if you really do think through this, not only are you saving the equipment and the room and the cabinetry as a cost saving uh, to get to these clean rooms, but by just in time getting that patient in and out, and then all the instructions are there, right there in their phone with them. And I know I've, I've been to the clinic before where, you know, I, I, I remembered what the doc said and he told me to get dressed, but then I can't remember, did he say I'm good to go or I'm good to wait. And I may be sitting in that exam room behind a closed door for 10 minutes before somebody realizes I'm still there. So. Now you're seeing that information directly back into your handheld device that gives you proper instructions. And if the doctor didn't say, hey, thank you, you're good, and it's nice to go, then at least your screen's gonna tell you, you're, it's good to get dressed, your next step is X, check out here and or check out through your phone, and you're quickly ex exiting and escorted out of the building. So you're, signing, you're finding that efficiency through the design step process. The biggest cost savings in that is staff. So Dave, you and I know that the facility cost and infrastructure for these clinical settings, you know, the, the cost of the rent amortized and the building and the equipment and the, the space and the cabinetry and chairs and furniture, that's 7%, 9% of their expenses. 60 to 70% is their staff. 
if we can start to eliminate cabinetry and the number of rooms that we have to have and square feet from waiting areas and office chairs uh, and these waiting areas and now find efficiencies to reposition those staff members into more hands-on technical training, then we're actually gonna be cutting and saving capital cost on the operating cost of the clinic and therefore lowering their expenses and you know, trying to gain some revenue share back to the providers. And I think really a good point on staff, because look at the training that you give to your clinical nursing staff and look at your, how often your provider may actually be doing some of these administrative tasks, such as setting up the patient, getting the patient ready, uh, having uh, communications that patient that could have been accomplished ahead of time using some technologies, such as providing information on, their, on the patient's own phone or providing the patient with an iPad with information that they can use as they fill out their questionnaire on their screening questions. It's done on the iPad and they give them immediate information and feedback and give a health status for that patient as they're ongoing in their care. But if you can reduce the need for your clinical staff to be doing administrative work or look at the time you could be saved on cleaning the room if they didn't have to spend as much time wiping things down, fewer spaces to deal with, and a much cleaner environment. Absolutely. Yeah, let me ask a couple other questions regarding how to keep a clean room. And I'm thinking in the context of your airflows. Uh, I remember operating rooms always used to have a positive pressure environment because you didn't want, uh, you wanted to keep a clean environment. Well, the problem with that, of course, is that if you have a patient who has infection, you're now spreading potential airborne pathogens throughout the, throughout the facility. So now we're changing airflows from being positive in a treatment room to being oftentimes wanting to be negative to contain any airborne uh, pathogens and, you know, and then using high, uh, high capacity HEPA filters or equivalent filters and or UVC light to, to clean uh, the air between passages. Can you talk a little bit again, facility design that reduces infection and may even decrease cost? Uh, UVA lighting, absolutely. We've seen a lot of uh, the savings where we use light to, uh, to, to generate not only a, a quick clean, if you will, into these type rooms to avoid the wiping down and the hands down and so forth, but we're also seeing new technologies in our glazing. So a lot of the clinics, instead of walls and doors, we're now seeing glass panels and sliders. Sliders save space, square feet, awkward doorways, and you have to touch. And oftentimes, a lot of these sliders may have a simple handle using a copper or a silver or brass finish, which we know because of the chemical components of those materials, a virus will not survive. So those are easy to clean. They don't transmit the types of viruses uh, like other plastics and other materials. Uh, but then now incorporating new technologies where you walk into a room and you can wave and not even touch the light switch, but now you can sense the lights are on. Now we have technologies in these glazing walls that just ionizes the materials into a, gla a clear path to an opaque window for now a more private exam. And again, when we're done, the physician leaves, he waves his hand and now we ionize it and now it's a clean room and with clear glazing, 
into the open uh, nursing station. So now you have visual contact with the nursing staff and the patient for hand gesturing and you're free to go or I've got a question or I need some help, those types of things. So again, touchless, but new technology and the, and the cost of these new technologies is really coming down in the last several years. Well, also, if you think about a glass technology, it's easy to clean. Uh, in fact, even using some of the electrostatic disinfectants or ozone, you know, you can use that right. in home using our robotic cleaner. I've seen hospitals utilizing you know, robotic cleaners, uh, oftentimes with ultraviolet light, to sanitize patient rooms after a patient who may have been an inpatient with C. diff, for example. You know, that its ability to, ki to kill uh, bacteria that are very resistant to more traditional uh, sanitation uh, devices. But we can see robotic cleaning being cheaper than spending staff time because you only buy that robot once. You know, what other possibilities do we have for keeping a clean exam room? Well, I, I think, again, a lot of it is removing uh, all the equipment. Uh, the magazine holders with the highlights from the 1970s. Oh, oh I forgot about the magazines. <laughs> <laughs> we all remember. Um, again, everybody, no, nobody reads the magazine. They're always looking at their phones anyway, so might as well push the information right in front of them. Uh, but again, less is more. So a clean environment uh, where it's a touchless environment. So even even public restrooms in these ambulatory campuses where we're using kind of like maze entryways, no doors, but you just kind of walk around the wall and then you're into a, a private uh, washroom, if you will, uh, type of environment. Uh, you know, we're trying to eliminate as many touch points. Uh, we can't eliminate everything, but the whole idea is to look at surface materials. So the new nanotechnologies on countertops uh, that allow us to put something down, you know, people still take their purse and their phone and, or, you know, and put them on the counter. They don't want to put them on that floor, if you will. Uh, so we are always looking at the latest uh, surfaces that can be easily cleaned and or a bacterial resistant uh, and, and certainly less opportunity to transfer viruses in these types of environments. You know, I think we've talked about changing the patient treatment environment because anything that we can do on a one-time spend saves money in the long run if you can avoid labor costs and improve the patient experience. What else can you think of that could actually improve the patient experience while maybe potentially reducing uh, some of the, the staff time or provider time for that patient? I think uh, the biggest opportunity is, is changing the environment from a patient coming into a, a, an exam room to see the provider. I mean, they're there for information. Most of the time, they're apprehensive. Something's wrong. You know, I'm, I'm, I don't know what is happening with me. They're elevated blood pressure and anxiety. So trying to design clinics into warm, open, spa-like settings, bringing in as much natural daylight is a uh, as a healing and a, in a soothing type of environment but if you think about it trying to open up we're trying to get rid of as many walls and doors as barriers to get to the clinic so oftentimes coming into these campuses of the future will be like arriving at a resort hotel or spa type like setting 
and you're having kiosks or pre-check-in and you're being told by your phone exactly where to go and how to get to that room. So you don't even really need to be escorted, but there's always connoisseur service to get you anything you need. And then having that in a shared environment where I've got my primary care, I've got my diagnostics down the hall, I can have the lab technician come in with the little kit and do a blood draw right there instead of going to the lab and having a sub weight, another wasted time, another place of sitting and touching. And then even imaging technology, having these things set up and orchestrated and tied into a schedule so the patient experience is a seamless process through this open type of environment. And then you do get those secure rooms behind the glazing that then becomes opaque for privacy, but then opens up. And then the, the nursing staff areas, these are open areas, just simple counters, don't need files and drawers. Again, the nursing staff is working off iPads or tablets, so all the information is there. And then just overhead are big screen communicating devices. One could be an air traffic control of what patient is where, in which room, for the provider and staff to be a cognizant eye. The every, everything else that we're starting to see, artwork and everything is being replaced by on-wall or in-wall finish come like a monitored screen. And these become informationals. These can be soothing art. These can be information. This could be your medical file the doc takes up with his fan and just sweeps it onto the wall and he can show an x-ray or an imaging or a medical file or a prescription. And then also right there provides you care and instruction on any kind of medication or next step as a referral. All that information is there in the phone and also within the wall and is simply controlled now just by a wave of the hand. So it's like the, the George Jetson's future is now here for healthcare in the 21st century. Yes. And, you know, and also, as you said, it actually can improve productivity and reduce your total cost, you know, as, as, as we improve the patient experience and improve patient care. Uh, well, David, there's so much more we could talk about. Uh, anything you would like to add to today's discussion? I think this is an opportunity of age of innovation for us. And so from the provider, the staff, even the patient and the guest and, you know, that ultimate consumer, having them rethink what could we make a really great experience? Because, you know, there's always going to be need for healthcare, and the patient is always going to look and trust their physician. But the physicians that can provide best level of care in a qualitative type, really exciting, uh, enthusiastic environment is, is where you're going to see a lot of patient satisfaction and then higher production, higher profitable, and then better outcomes that therefore lead to a lower cost of healthcare. So we're, key, we're seeing keen interest in, in larger groups or multi-specialty groups and even communities look at these ambulatory care centers because that is where the revenue is being really generated and reimbursed for right now for, for a higher level or for this, you know, community health level, uh, level of care. So, yes, yeah, so much that, uh, to more to be learned. Uh, but I think it's the age of innovation and uh, we're starting to see what the end results of what the data shows in terms of an improved uh, community health care. Yeah, David, I think you're exactly true. Uh, you know, oftentimes uh, medicine has had significant 
improvement and technological change during times of crisis. You know, during war times, we've seen substantial improvements in surgery techniques. We've seen improvements in patient evacuation that have now translated into the norm for healthcare. I think we're, the COVID-19 crisis that we have, we're going to change how healthcare does business. We're going to change the patient experience for the better. We're going to change the provider efficiency for the better, and it's going to be an all-around improvement. But it's going to take some time, but it's also going to be, I think, very cost-effective. So that change is going to happen quick. And I think you've given us some excellent insights today of what we will see in the future. Thank you so much for your time. I know our listeners are going to find our discussion most interesting. Thank you. Dave, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. This was fun.